Hey everybody, it's episode 7, and today we have a very interesting topic again on weather. Once again, it's with the BAM weather team. Remember a few weeks ago when Michael Clark came on as an interview and we spoke with him by phone about the outlook for summer or early spring? They have now released their summer outlook and given us a peek into some thoughts they've been thinking about in this growing season. And it is a 50-some minute long webinar packed full of great information for the growing season. And so I'm going to go ahead and be quiet and let them get started. And I think it's well worth the time spent here. They have some very useful, some good information today. All right, guys, welcome. We are going to um, let some people die, uh, some, some people file in. I appreciate you joining the uh, the webinar. All right, uh, we got some people filing in. Tons of hundreds of you have registered. So um, once we get going here, we got one more minute, and uh, we'll we'll get started. All right, so just bear with us. If you're just getting in, just bear with us, and we'll get started in about one minute. All right, guys, looks like most of you are here. It's 11 a.m., so we'll get rolling, okay? Um, want to welcome everybody to our growing season outlook and, and all of you that have registered to, to view it. We're going to try and make it quick. I know everybody's busy and likes things to be fast, so we'll do it as fast as we can. Um, here's what we're going to break down today. All right, you can kind of see everything we're going to be uh, talking about. Myself, uh, Michael Clark, we have Brett Waltz with us and Kirk Hens, and we'll be kind of having an open-ended discussion. There is an option to have a, a, a Q&A. At any time, you can post your questions here to the Q&A section of the webinar, and we will answer them as we go, all right? So um, feel free to post those at any time, and we'll interact with you all and, uh, and get going, all right? So... Let's dive right in, all right? We're gonna talk about the 2019 summer review. We're gonna talk about the Enzo evolution and the potential that we're going into a La Nina. Uh, we'll talk about the drought monitor, our analogs, the seasonal data, and of course our forecast. And then we'll also talk about the hurricane season thoughts. And um, we will talk about the new app that is uh, tremendously awesome, all right? So we'll talk about all that stuff here as we get rolling. So let's get right into it. We'll go into the first slide, and what we're going to talk about first is the summer, the review of uh, last year's forecast, okay? Um, what an interesting year it was. You know, we started out just absolutely soaking wet, and then, uh, you know, that helped us kind of stay cooler. Uh, it, it was active in parts, drier in other parts. Uh, it, it was just a weird year, you know, where we started. It, it just was not a friendly season overall. Um, the outlooks that we had posted last year really panned out very well in terms of especially the temperature outlook pretty much nailed it. 
Um, the areas we missed were Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, where we had them wetter than average and they ended up being actually a little bit drier than average. Um, the historical, uh, the corn yield actually ended below trend line. A lot of that due to just how wet the start was. But overall, a very good forecast uh, on all fronts here in terms of a 90-day outlook, you know, uh, from, a, from a month ahead or so. So pleased with that, okay? Um, CDD forecast was an 887. The verification was a 916. We just show the verification to show you that here's what it was. You know, it's not a, hey, look how good we are. It's just a matter of showing you what, what we said and what happened. So really the, the topic for the entire growing season is the evolution towards a La Nina. And especially just over the last month, we've seen a significant trend in the equatorial temperature anomalies in the sub, at the subsurface, beneath the surface in the equatorial Pacific Ocean. You see these oranges and reds get quickly eroded here by a, a really stout cold pool developing in the subsurface there of the equatorial Pacific. Um, really kind of probably suggesting the El Nino, or La Nina is probably uh, inevitable at this point here at some point, right? So you can see the, the daily index is, is tanked here and the forecast models pretty much across the board are, are all in line with a weak La Nina by June, all right? We can see the actual map here, this, the sea surface temperature uh, anomaly here across the equatorial Pacific uh, has cooled drastically, but the Pacific is still very warm, okay? The MDR and the Atlantic is also very warm. So all this is going to play into the outlook that we have in store for you today. Uh, but a developing La Nina, most of you probably think it's going to get hot and dry. Well, maybe, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that. So let's get right into it. Brett, let's talk a little bit about just the overall idea behind all of this, the Enzo evolution and, uh, you know, how we've come up with, with what we have. Yeah, so uh, it, it was really kind of a, a, a slow transition into cooler Enzo state. Uh, it took a long time. Uh, a lot of these La Nina years go right into it right after winter, and we're just now seeing that big drop right now. Uh, it, it really started about a month ago, and we've dropped about a whole degree Celsius in the equatorial Pacific, which is a substantial drop, one of the uh, sharpest drops this time of year that we've seen in the last 30 years. Um, and, and so there's a couple of ways to look at it. Uh, number one, it looks like we are going to be in a weak La Nina, or at least a, a cool neutral Enzo state as you average out all of summer. And if we just look at the most recent years, and it's important to look at recent years because the climate is different. Uh, it's just an overall warmer climate than it has been back if we were looking in the 50s and 60s. And you can see that it generally fav favors, uh, when you have this La Nina, warmer temperatures across a good majority of the United States. What it does favor, though, is it favors kind of a gradient in dry risk to the west, and cooler risks off to the east. You may get some flow around the ridge. Uh, we're going to talk about this a lot. Uh, the risk of storm clusters, derechos, uh, MCSs, over the top of a ridge of high pressure out to the west. 
and that can lead to heavy rain chances at times. At times, not saying that it's a whole summer of heavy rain chances, but it can lead to heavy rain chances at times over the top. And, and that's just what the, the La Nina would say. Now, if we look at the years that had a very sharp drop like this year, again, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's maybe just a little bit more extreme. You've got more warmth, uh, especially located down there in the plains, the central plains. And then that leads to a stronger ridge and an even greater chance of those Sorry, storm bro. clusters going around the top. Hang on. Sorry. It's uh, not liking what I'm doing here. Sorry about that. There you go. No, you're good. I thought I did something wrong because usually it's about the time in the webinar that I screw something up. So, um, but but anyway, if we go if we go back to the uh, the drop analogs, there we go. Uh, you can see there, there's two things that I that I that I notice on that preset map is that one you've got strong northwest flow risk with those storm clusters over the top, and you also have a tropical source. And we're going to talk about this later, but La Niña's generally favor a much more active tropical season, and I think that we are going to be dealing with the influence of, influences of that throughout a good part of the summer, especially as we work into later in July and August. Kirk, I feel like, you know, we're seeing a lot of similarities here from 2016. How do you feel about that? Yeah, 2016, I, the reason I agree on two fronts is it was overall, you know, warmer than normal, which the way we're coming out of El Nino going towards La Nina, I think it's inevitable. You know, does that warmth come during the day or overnight? If I had to hedge my bets, I'd say there's probably a good risk for warm overnight low temperatures. You know, maybe something familiar sounds like 2010 or 2018. I think that's on the table here as well. But when you throw 2016 in the mix, the, the first thing at least that pops in my mind is that northwest flow. You know, you have derechos that go right through near Chicago. And um, when you have a strong gradient of warm and dry, especially to the west, this is something that, you know, it hasn't just set up last week. It's been setting up for months. Um, typically, you just start to see the ridge migrate to where you're warmest and driest, and that would be the western plains. And that is just a tip off to me that there can be a nice flow of moisture to wrap around that and, and drop right into the Midwest and in some of these areas here as well, which have already had a tendency to be very wet. You know, the last 30 days, we've seen some areas get five to 10 inches of rain right where those analogs are wet. So that can be a tip off too. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of leads us into. Uh, Brett did some some extensive research on similar drought setups. Uh, Brett, talk about talk about what you found here. Yeah, so wanted to go back and look here at years that are kind of transitioning similar to this year as far as the drought goes. And uh, you know, off the bat, it doesn't sound like it would be a huge deal, but once you start building in warmth, summer like warmth. Uh, you're going to get localized enhancement of warmth, more heat over areas that are drier. The dry ground heats up warmer and it heats up faster than wet soils. And so it can kind of create a risk of higher pressure over the areas that are in, in droughts. And you can see this year we've got in some spots, an extreme drought across southeastern parts of Colorado into western Kansas right now. This will update tomorrow, but we've seen this expand pretty rapidly over the last couple of weeks. And what that can do is lead to that high pressure over the western U.S. And if we look at the most similar years, uh, 
2015-2018. And again, these aren't necessarily perfect matches for the summer as a whole, but if we just look at it from a drought perspective, I'm noticing something similar in these years to what we're already seeing kind of in our week two forecast pattern. Uh, Again, they all have the dryness down to the south, especially the southwest. They also have the drier risk down by the Gulf Coast. We've seen uh, actually some fires down in parts of Florida. How unusual is that? Florida having wildfires? I mean, that's not something you hear every year. These years, I tried to find years that had hints of that, at least. It's not easy to find, that's for sure. Uh, But these years definitely had some similarities. And if we look at the temperature composite for these years, uh, I think that it shows you the risk of having a high pressure over the Rockies as we work into summer. Maybe you get some over-the-top warmth. Maybe you get some return flow and some cooler air down to the south. But uh, what's really interesting about this map here is that it looks almost exactly like our week two forecast right now. I mean, I don't think that's a coincidence that we are already seeing some similarities there. And I think that it just means that we're probably going to deal with some warmth and high pressure across the Rockies into the western U.S., and that can kind of lead to some cooler air down to the south. As far as the ag belt, the eastern ag belt specifically, maybe that leads to kind of a push and pull, and at the very least, a good gradient for precipitation. And again, there's that northwest flow. That's, I think, the third analog we've showed now that has that northwest flow look. Uh, you know, Minnesota into the Great Lakes, uh, northern Illinois, northern Indiana, especially, and then towards the East Coast. And again, uh, the Deep South, maybe that starts to uh, get a little bit wetter there. And, and again, I think a lot of that's due to tropical activity. Yeah. Can yeah. I add something? I want to add something too about yeah. the Northwest flow for those that maybe don't understand what that means. And, and you can look yeah. at this map and you can see, man, that's just, we're just soaking wet. It's just going to be a soaking wet summer. There's no issues. Well, you can have two derechos come through in three months and they can bring 10 inches of rain and you can be above normal for that aggregate. Mm-hmm. So that does not mean, Northwest flow does not mean no problems. Northwest flow means you have a tendency for storm clusters and the overall average you can end up above normal on precipitation, but that does not mean there's no dry spells. Uh, and that's that's a very clear point yeah i mean in 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 2012 if it weren't for the duratios there wouldn't have been any crop in the eastern corn belt um at all so those can save you as much as they can hurt you um yeah you know you can you can blow corn over and flatten it with those you know those those do you have a concern for those just because there's moisture doesn't mean it may be the most friendliest of moistures, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, exactly. If that makes sense. But um, so, yeah, great point. Um, so, going forward here, let's uh, let's get on to the next uh, the next slide. Um, we talked about our analogs, and we've we've looked at, at three different basically kind of classifications or or, or methods because we have a hard time finding one that all shares a year in common or all have the same, you know, kind of, uh, setup. I mean, it's, 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 this is a weird year. Um, <laughs> so, so Brett, talk about the, the methodology here with what you've done with these, with these analogs. Yeah. And, and like you said, there isn't a year, you know, 2016 may be close, but there really isn't any other years that are like, yes, those are great matches for this year. And it comes down to the pace of the drop in 
Enzo this year. The the development of La Nina is later than normal. Uh, we went through spring and it was steady, 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 more in El Nino territory, and now we're just now crashing, and it's later than normal. And if you look at the Enzo evolution, these are the years that dropped at the, uh, the most similar pace to this year. Look at this, those years. They're all, except for 1995, they're all before 1980. Um, and so, again, that just tells you that for recent history we're in rare territory and that analogs aren't going to be one-to-one so when we mention a year i wouldn't necessarily uh, don't think in your head oh crap it's gonna be like 2016 or it's gonna be like you know whatever year that we that we spit out we have to look at things as a whole and we've got to look at multiple different things to really deduce what the pattern is going to do and so if we look at the years even dating back to the 1950s does suggest warmer risks across a good bit of the ag belt as we work into summer and and we've had that idea for a while we know that a lot of times la ninas do lead to warmer temperatures the big question is precip and does suggest some dry risk a ridge sets up over the central u.s at times and it can be drier at times but you can see the hints of northwest flow of those clusters that come in and i think that these show pretty well what kirk was talking about that there can be dry time uh all of these show that that there can be dry pockets that there can be dry times uh may not necessarily mean that the whole great lakes is going to get in on it it you may get unlucky and miss them all i mean that's that's possible um but I think that all of these show that idea. Now, if we look over to our tropical forcing analogs, basically what what that means is uh, just similarities in how the upward motion is uh, in the Enzo regions and uh, in the Pacific. And again, shows a warmer idea, but it has the ridge placed a little bit further to the north and to the east, more over the Great Lakes to the upper Midwest. Um, that's important. Uh, these are two important differences. Because if you get that big dry uh, ridge set up, as you see in the Enzo evolution, that's a drier ridge to the forecast, I would say. Would you all agree? Maybe you get those stronger MCSs over the top. Uh, but I, I think that for the plains, especially if you get that big ridge to set up, that can lead to more pronounced dryness at times. Um, yeah, I- I agree. I think what's interesting, though, Brett, as you pointed out, these are all pre-1980, and it seems yeah. it seems as though that's not as common in the newer era of these yeah. La Ninas. I would um, agree. And I think that's the interesting – that's the word on the street is La Nina just means hot and dry, and it, it really yeah. doesn't mean that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I yep. mean, if you look back at some – of our top five most recent wettest years on record, they're all like post-2010 or at least post-2000. That should tell you that this climate that we're in, you know, think about months like September, you know, it's always warm in September and it, and it seems like the, the year as a whole, December. summer as a whole, always hosts some, some wetter risks. That's, that's a new climate thing in my opinion. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, so basically, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, you're fine, Brett. I, I, I was just going to tie on to, you know, the, when you when you talk about everything you see here, I think the question is is where's the ridge going to set up and when? And mm-hmm. it may be a summer where it might set up at an unfavorable time. So we talked about this on AgriTalk the other day. Kirk is summer may be okay, except 
if the AAM goes negative and the ridge and the heat set up right during pollination, that obviously can hurt things. Um, but the driest risks are the Western Corn Belt and the wettest risks are the Eastern Corn Belt right now. And I think mm, that's yep. the, the easiest way we can, we can take away from that. Um, I'm going to go to the precip first. I'll go back. But talk about these models. I mean, let's, let's look at this. We see, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm highlighting this, you can kind of see this, you know, look at the flow here. Uh, you look at the, the, uh, the flow here over the top, you know, and you've got the, the jams tech doing the same thing. You, you can kind of see this as evident in some of these computer models. Um, you know, these models, as much as everyone probably hates to admit, they did pretty doggone good for the winter forecast. I mean, you know, they were there was cool. a lot of indication that we thought the models were crazy for winter, uh, and mm -hmm. <laughs> they weren't, you know. Um, yeah, it's so. uh, I, I think these kind of show the risk. Per, I mean, they, they all have the general idea. The only one that's drier is that that uh in car ccsm one which I, we show that just to show the risk uh pinning where exactly the ridge that's up if it goes up into canada and you completely cut off the jet something like that's not impossible i don't think it's likely um right. but for the most part pretty good consistency here mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then in the temperature modeling as well it's you know there's some indication of a, of a trough of some sort now I, I do want to mention the number one factor, the wild card that we have to monitor, in my opinion, is the, the global winds, the, the, what we call the angular momentum. Um, we have yet to see, typically in a La Nina, uh, in a La Nina, typically those global winds are slower or what we call negative, and uh, there's, just, there's more ridging going on across the globe. We haven't seen that yet. Um, and for us, I don't think it's a matter of if but when that AAM tanks. And when it does, I think that there could be a period for 30-so days that can get extraordinarily hot and dry. Um, and I think we have to find out, you know, I think right now we would probably favor the Western Corn Belt for that to happen. But... I do think if and w when that drops, I, I think it's going to be a, a pretty big eye-opener um, because of where we're going with the overall atmosphere towards a possible La Nina. What do you guys think? I mean, yeah, I think it, it's all about the timing of when that drops and where the ridge is because if you combine that with the drop and the winds start to slow down and you get more ridging and that ridge happens to be more over the Great Lakes, you're going to, like Brett said, you're going to cut off the jet stream. And, and I know these sound like what ifs, but these are the, the very real problems because, you know, we can have great soil moisture, but if we shut off precipitation and, and increase temperatures late June into early July in, in that time frame, that's that's not everything that matters, but it's a lot of what matters. So I, I think it is definitely not an if, but a win. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I do think that you're going to have a time where it just, you know, it, it gets quiet as far as the precipitation goes. I think that when that happens, you're going to stall out the ridge wherever it may be. 
and, and you're going to get dry for a time. Now, you may, and that may even be into the Eastern Belt at times, you know, even say into Illinois, Missouri, maybe even Southwest Indiana um, for a time. Uh, but I think that until that happens, I think that you've kind of got a push and a pull. You don't have a set pattern. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of seeing that. We're kind of seeing two different types of patterns set up right now, I think. One is that ridge and the warmth in the western U.S. And, and into the western plains. And then the second is the ridge over the Great Lakes and the warmth there. And, and so maybe you don't have a set pattern until that AAM drops. Of course, unclear when exactly that drops. We think it's going to at some point, but... The question is just when, um, and when that happens, where's the where's the ridge set up at when that happens? Um, yeah. Would typically favor more of a western plains with the AAM drop, um, but I think that until then, you may have back and forth warmth uh, with yeah. the core being over the western plains and the western U.S. at times, and then to the Great Lakes at times. And uh, for that reason, you can see here on our monthly outlooks, June especially, we didn't put any much below normal, any much above normal for both temperatures and precip, because if you have that back and forth, it's going to be hard to get one spot that's well above normal for both temperatures or precip or well below normal. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really one of those things where I, I think that it, it's possible that in terms of weather for growing conditions, you know, overall, there's not a huge glaring problem. Um, the, the, the major what if factor, the major wild card, and I say major because this is a huge deal. You have to understand, we can't tell you when this is going to happen. We can tell you based off how things are trending that it's possible that it can. Uh, but the AAM is the, is the huge wild card here. Um, you know, we've seen the models try taking it negative a couple of times here and they keep failing. It keeps, now it's correcting back pot, staying more positive again. Yeah. Um, and maybe so, I can help describe to people why that's a big deal. AAM, why does that matter to me? Well, AAM, atmospheric angular momentum, if, if we're positive, think El Nino. El Nino, think active jet streams. You're going to get plenty of moisture. You're not going to have a moisture problem. So you have to, in La Nina, you typically have negative AAMs, but if you do not drop that AAM, you will continue to have an active jet stream and you will continue to have moisture. That's why it's so important. Yeah, in the easiest way it can be put. I mean, so to, to sum up growing condition weather, the western half, you're at a bigger risk for hotter and drier. The eastern half, um, I think, You'll have more wet than dry, but I still think it's possible there could be a period of hot and dry mm -hmm. once that AAM tanks. That, that, that's the easiest way to put this. And um, this is one of the more, actually, this is the most challenging uh, summer outlook I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, we, we, we have a very hard time coming up with conclusions just for June. Yeah. So uh, that's just the way that it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not often you get two L, two-year El Ninos and going into a La Nina. Right. Yeah, what is there? I think it's only happened five times, right? Five or six yeah. times? Well, I think like three times, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's the fourth or fifth time. Yeah, it's not. And, and last year was weird. Winter felt like a strong El Nino, but it wasn't. 
Mm. And so that makes it even more weird, more rare. Um, so we, we've had to look into years that went into a La Nina off of a Super Nino just because of how the atmosphere was in the winter. We have an interesting question, Brett, um, from Doug Gillum. Doug says, uh, earlier in the spring, we talked about 05 being a strong analog a lot. And here recently, we haven't talked about it as much. What do we think? Yeah, no, uh, that's a great question because we did talk about 05 a lot. It was a really good analog in winter. It was pretty good for a good part of spring. Uh, the, the, the reason that we are not talking about it quite as much is because that was a slower drop in Enzo, which we thought for a time may be possible because of how late uh, we've progressed. But over the last month, we've dropped so sharply with Enzo. Uh, it, it's just a deviation from 2005. There are still some things about 2005 that I don't hate. Uh, the Pacific, I think, was pretty good. Uh, and, and it did go into a Nina. So it's not like an awful analog. It, it's definitely worth looking at and worth watching. Uh, but again, it's just kind of that speed of the drop has made it a little bit less of a match as far as uh, get where the ridge may set up. And, and just, the, just the speed of things is just different than 05. But there are still some things that are decent. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, like 05, if 05 does become a better analog, that would support more, especially the Southern Plains, Western Plains getting a little bit wetter. And then I think it was uh, a little bit drier, especially across the Great Lakes, which we mentioned that risk possible. Yeah, there was a drought right there in 05. Yeah, needs to be watched. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So, you know, to, to sum this up, our, our summer uh, CDD forecast is a 935, okay? Um, last year was a 916. So we overall forecast a possible warmer summer overall. Um, if there's going to be an area that is prone to problems the most, uh, in our opinion right now, that, that's probably going to be somewhere in here, all right, in terms of just hotter and drier conditions. Now, again, the AAM drop is the huge wild card. Um, but being that it started drier here, and it's pretty doggone wet in here, it's adding to our confidence level that that's probably where the tendency of the ridging is going to be is west. So that's the area I would be most concerned with when it comes to growing weather, just in general. In terms of where it's going to be the warmest, it's not going to be in Texas, I don't think. I don't think we're looking at big Texas heat this summer. Um, I don't think we're looking at big heat in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest, but the warmer tendencies are probably going to run from New York City to Chicago down through Los Angeles. Um, so those are some bigger cities that uh, certainly will weigh in on the CDD forecast of 935. Um, you know, if we were to have Texas, Dallas area warmer, we'd probably be pushing 960, you know, 970. Even. It's, it's a big area in the energy market. But regardless, I think the biggest concern uh, on the precip side is going to be the, the corridor for the Duratios and the MCS clusters, probably right in this area here. Uh, these clusters like to develop up in here and take sharp southeast dives, and they like to produce wind damage and, and, and swaths of uh, 80, 90 mile per hour winds at times. Um, 
wouldn't be so shocked to see a, a, a notable duration event, one or two of them this summer, if this pattern can evolve the way we think it might. Okay. So that's kind of the, the, the outlook uh, for summer there in general. Um, again, please feel free to ask questions on that if you have them. Now, going forward, we still have a couple of uh, things to discuss, and that's the wild cards. And, uh, Brett, talk about, you know, Kirk as well. You guys have talked, looked a lot into the QBO. I mean, what in the devil's going on with this QBO? Um, it's doing something that only one other year has ever done on record. So records go back to uh, this one all the way back to 1956. So that's, what, 64, 65 years almost. So okay. that's a lot of years. Um and you can see it. Normally, it goes around in a circle. It goes from the positive phase to the negative phase and just does that every year or two. And it's normal. Uh, this year, you can see the latest blue line going into the middle there. And that the only other year that went out of phase was 2016, which is another reason why we're keeping an eye on it. Now, uh, we're a little bit different, uh, coming from a little bit of a different spot than 2016, but... To be completely honest, we don't know what this is going to do to the pattern because uh, it's never happened before. Um, we don't know if it's going to change up the MJO. We don't know if it's going to, you know, disrupt the Enzo evolution. We just don't know. It's just going to be something that's going to have to be researched after this year. Uh, we can kind of look at 2016 and say, okay, this was the other year that went out of phase. So we're noticing some similarities with 2016 already. Maybe there's something to that. But, um, again, it's just going to be something that we're going to have to monitor as time goes on. Um, to go along with that, I know we've talked about the AAM a lot, but the MJO, that that's a big thing, especially early in summer. I think I talked about how maybe the pattern isn't set in stone, especially for June. Maybe we go back and forth from warmth in the West and warmth in the Great Lakes. I think that the longer that MJO keeps uh, in its active state, the longer it goes, you know, stays active and it moves all the way across the globe, I think the bigger the risk is that we don't have a set pattern. So that's something we're going to have to watch. If that shuts off around the same time as the AAM, again, I think, as Michael was talking about earlier, that could been, be when we need to watch for a, a, more, a, a bigger and more sustained dry and hot pattern. Uh, Kirk, why don't you talk about what the, what the activity in the tropics could mean this year? Yeah, <clears throat> Brett kind of alluded to this earlier too as well. Um, we're so warm. I mean, in terms of our sea surface temperatures from, you know, I would say the north of the MDR all the way into the Gulf. We've we've recently seen some tropical activity in the southeast out there as well. And there's a lot of extensive articles, research articles out there that that tie La Niñas or going more into a La Niña towards less wind shear. And when you have less wind shear and warmer waters in the tropics, you know, one plus one equals more likely tropical activity as well. So that's a, one of the reasons why that we have a hard time going warmer, especially if you're concerned with, you know, energy demand, why we have a hard time going warmer in Texas and the southeast areas because of that tropical risk and just the potential for multiple. I mean, every one of our analog years where we go from El Nino towards a La Nina tendency or at least normal to above normal in the tropical activity. So that's a risk. 
Why is it more of a risk to, to the ag belt as well, especially east and southeast? Well, that can push a lot of moisture up in those areas that can keep overnight low temperatures elevated that can maybe increase disease pressure and, and risk in that direction as well. I think that is a very real risk, you know, when we're talking about tropical activity, a warmer than normal summer, you know, maybe you could equate it to 2018 in terms of overnight lows or 2010. I, I think if there's a risk, maybe not so much towards uh, a drought or drier risks for the eastern belt, maybe it's more too much moisture, too warm overnight, or some disease pressure in, in terms of the trap the tropics being overall more than active. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Valid, valid, valid points for sure. Um, and to and to finally touch on that AAM, this is a very important note on the AAM, and that is if it doesn't drop, you know, if we just don't see it drop. I, I can't, you know, my gut says it will, but if it doesn't, <laughs> uh, the, the tendency would favor more of a ridge over the Great Lakes and wetter risks in the plains. It would, it would maybe break the drought west and shift the dry risk east. Um, I really think summer as a whole hinges on, on this. I really do, on the AAM. Yeah. You know, I, I really do, I do believe that um, to be true. So, just something uh, to keep in mind. We've got to watch that in, in our daily outlooks, our daily videos. There's no better way to watch that than to watch those, those analysis, the analysis daily. Okay. Um, so moving on, the hurricane season, the Atlantic uh, hurricane, the analogs. And, and Doug, if you're still on, you know, this is uh, where we talked about 05 is still a, an, an analog overall. Um, so it's, it was definitely a hyperactive season. But we don't have a you know a, a season that wasn't that was below normal in the analog set. Um, we have every indication, every 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 right to believe this year will probably be a very active hurricane year um, for many reasons. As Kirk touched on, you know, just the overall lack of of wind shear, um, weaker weaker vertical wind shear, and where the trade winds are are uh, just more favorable for that setup. Okay. Uh, we're already seeing the warmer waters in the uh, MDR, in the uh, Atlantic, in the Gulf. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're, we're already seeing tropical activity in the modeling right now. It's, you know, and it's late May. Mm-hmm. So um, we believe that it's a hyperactive season. It's, it's, it's much above uh, – the average here of 13 to 18 storms, you know, you could take the median and, and say somewhere between 16 and major hurricanes at three to five. Again, take the median, you're at four. Um, average on those is, is around two and a half major hurricanes per year. So definitely above average on that. Um, and, and, you know, if we had to, to draw an area where we're going to be watching it's certainly looking like this this would be the area for now where the most favored activity could be for the above normal hurricane risks. Um, yeah. Especially given that we see all this cool water up in here. I don't think the Northeast coast is at much of a risk, you know, and versus the Southeast. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, I think that, one thing that you may note is that the total storms, we, we're not going quite as high as some of those other more active years like 95 and an 05. 
Um, and part of that is because those cooler waters off the East Coast. And you've also got some cooler waters down pretty far south in the southern parts of the MDR. Um, and, and I think that that could kind of lead, we could kind of get into a setup where we see a lot of storms developing further west in the Caribbean. So maybe you don't have as many storms as some of these very active years but you can have more intense storms, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, right right in there where Michael oh, yeah. circled. So uh, I, I think that we may get into a setup like that. And we've seen that the last couple of years, though, because the Atlantic temp- uh, Ocean temperature pattern hasn't changed a whole lot the last couple of years. It's very similar. And uh, you've seen what's happened the last couple of years in uh, Maria and Harvey and, you know, Michael. There's There's been several of them, so... So to talk about this, anytime we, we place a ridge over the water, if, if this is a factor we were going to consider, if the AAM were to stay positive, you'd have a, you'd have a ridge somewhere in here. And uh, you'd, you'd probably steer, as, as Brett mentioned, you, you may be steering these things right up in, into this area. Uh, and so maybe if, maybe if there's an area where we could say there's an elevated risk, maybe it is the Gulf Coast. Um, pending how that AAM behavior goes, but that's just kind of, you know, that's just kind of 101 stuff. If the ridge is there and the, and we think this is the area that could be favored, maybe this is the area we need to watch. Mm-hmm. It's just an idea, guys. It's just the general direction of the upper level winds is going to steer these storms. Yeah. But so we just have to see where they, you know, where they go. Yeah. Next right. two to so, three weeks. Yeah. Three. Exactly. So. Um, Let's uh, let's head on over to uh, the the end the end show here. We've got some questions. Um, before I get to the questions, we we do have again our brand new app available for all iOS products. Droid in two weeks. This thing's awesome. I mean, we've taken we've taken pricing everything into consideration. We've made it incredibly affordable, and we've put uh, just the latest and greatest technology right in the palm of your hand. I mean push notifications of cloud-to-ground lightning strikes, location-specific weather alerting, the ability to chat with a meteorologist at any time in the app, one-on-one, point-and-click QPE. That's been a huge hit. Um, the QPE data in the, in the app, you can zoom down to field level. You can get QPE estimates. Some services charge 1000 a year just for QPE data. Okay? Um, but we've put a lot of effort into the methodology, the data into the app. All right, this is a huge deal. You get everything, our long range, our state, our support, our radar, our hour by hour, everything into the app. You can get an all-in price at $810 a year, which is half the cost of what these subscriptions we used to run. We've, we've literally re, we've d- redone it all, guys. We've, re, we've revamped and uh, the app is, it is, in the last two days, we have absolutely exploded with the app. It has been unbelievable, the people that are interested. So I'm going to answer questions, okay? Uh, Doug says, thank you for the explanation and response. You're welcome, Doug. Thank you. Dale says, is the steep decline in airline flights and the weather data they provide causing more uncertainty and instability in the weather models? What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I, th- I don't see how it doesn't. 
I mean, you you have half as many flights. Those flights do have every one of them have weather sensors. You don't have those weather sensors. Your forecast air can grow significantly. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I've seen so much variability from the pattern in the 10 to 15 to what it looks like in the one to five. I mean, it just makes a, a hard job harder. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it in the scores too. It's it, we've seen more big drops in the verifications than I think that we've seen in the last couple of the prior months to this. Um, it's definitely the the skill scores and uh, Dr. Maui, uh, he can post something on, uh, he's posted stuff on Twitter about it, but the the verifications the last 30 days are lower than what they had been the 90 days before that. So um, it, it's not like a, it, it's not like it, they're completely unusable, but definitely not as good for sure. We have a couple of people that want to do some verbal questions. Brian's going to patch them in. Yeah, so first up is uh, Patrick. Oh. <laughs> Patrick, go ahead. Your mic is muted, Patrick. You may, there you go. Patrick? I don't think Patrick's mic's working. So we're going to go ahead and move on to Tom. Tom Stribling, go ahead. What's your question? Tom's muted. Yeah, his mic's muted. And... All right. Well, never mind. We'll move on and try that later. If you guys had questions, it, it would be best to type them. You know, send them over in the Q&A. That way we don't have to worry about patching you in. Um, let me let me get to the other one. Mika Mitchell says, this is off topic. Maybe you want to think about an answer outside of the presentation. With the QBO out of phase, AAM not dropping with Nina, et cetera, it seems the last couple of years the pattern drivers that usually go in hand are now disconnected. We've been in a warm climate cycle for 35 years. Could the disconnected drivers be an indication we're about to flip back to 30-year cool climate cycle? Sure, possibly, Mika. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you could say that with confidence. I, you know, there's been talk from several industry professionals that the low solar and all this other stuff should have led to a string of colder and more intense winters, and um, we just haven't seen it yet. Maybe the big the big change that was needed is the uh, a developing La Nina event to change up the Pacific pattern in general. So maybe that is possible, but um, that's a loaded question. Very great question. And it speaks to the understanding that you have of the atmosphere, um, but that's a tough one. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> um, Josh says, after back-to-back -back record yields for or record years for precipitation in the Dakotas, what are you guys seeing for this year? Brett? Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we've, ar we've already seen uh, differences because spring hasn't yeah. been nearly as wet up there as it has been the last couple of years. Um, I, I still think that, especially in Minnesota, um, uh, especially to your east, I, I think that you've got those MCS risks. And I, and I do think that 
at times you're going to get those to develop in the Dakotas. Uh, the tough part about up there is that it could be hit, hit and miss. It's all about where the ridge is exactly oriented because mm-hmm. uh, you all are kind of on the line about does it initiate in the Dakotas or does it initiate in Minnesota? Um, And and so I think that you could have a lot of, and I know we've said this before, I think that we could have a lot of have and have nots in the Dakotas where some places get hit multiple times and are very, very wet. And then other places are really dry. And I know that's not uh, probably the answer you were looking for, but that's just the the truth unless you all have something else you'd like to add. No, I, I think overall up there, it's it's just we, this winter, we have, I mean, think about the years past, we've have been blasted by blizzards and big winter storms. We don't have that subsoil moisture. And a lot of times you can see when you have that going out of winter and into spring, you can just see that continuing into summer like we did last year. And we're just seeing the direct opposite of that. So I, I don't see a lot of major problems up there. I mean, it will be hit or miss and it will be variable, but um, I would say versus last year, it's it's a 180 in terms of soil moisture up there and, and seeing a little bit more of a lack of, uh, we don't have as much of a jet stream influence up there as we've had in years past as well. So I'm not seeing an overwhelmingly precipitation induced pattern. Okay, so we've got uh, several more questions. Let's make the answers quick. Steve says, this time you are not looking at a market moving event for grain. Steve, we... I, I I believe we may be looking at that if the AAM goes negative. In these years, in these La Ninas, it is possible that happens. And I think that there could be a market moving event sometime late yeah. June and sometime into July. I can't speak to the nature of that or to – I can tell you that I think there can be a problematic weather pattern for a time. Yeah. That's the best answer I got. So twenty six. I mean, 2016 had that. It was just a little earlier. Right, right. Um, Kyle says, uh, could clouds and precip early in the summer along and over the Gulf of Mexico inhibit late summer development due to cooler water? It's a good yeah, question. It's possible. <clears throat> yeah. The water stays cooler there. It certainly inhibits the, the, the development. Um, Josh says, thank you. Thank you for watching, Josh. Chuck Shelby, how you doing, sir? Thanks for watching. He says, how will the temps be out west? Will they have many days near 100 degrees? I think they'll have plenty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. Especially yeah. west of, uh, you know, western half of Kansas, Nebraska, <laughs> eastern Colorado, you know, those areas, I think, west you know, Panhandle of Texas. I mean, we've already seen some record-breaking temperatures in those areas. I think it just continues. Uh, Blake says, will La Nina's and El Nino's ever end? Ha, no, they will not. Yeah, or, <laughs> or El Nino's as we call yeah, them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those are all going to keep happening. Andy says in 2012, South central Indiana had a bad drought. Was that due to the AAM or something else? Uh, the AAM was negative that year. If I'm remembering right, like the whole, um, yeah. like the whole time. Yeah, it was not a La Nina either. No, it wasn't. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. But I think, again, the neutral cooler Enzo, if you will, uh, and the negative AAM just drawn out for two months. Yeah. um, You know? Yeah. And and those waters west of Mexico, what we call PMM, were just substantially cold. And that just simply means a no jet stream at all. 
Yep. No subtropical yep. jet whatsoever. That was probably the bigger than Enzo that year, yep. if I had to guess, because it That's was really... One. Yeah, and we don't have any indication of that right now. The PMM's warm right now. Yeah, North Pacific is warm. That's that's why if you do not drop the AAM, you will be wet. Just simply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great question, Andy. Um, anonymous. Uh, will Indianapolis area have a hot summer with very little precip? I don't think so. I think the summer. I think we'll see. You know, we average seventeen ninety degree days a summer. I think we could approach 25, maybe 30, 90 degree days. I think we could be above average on the 90 degree day statistic. And I think nighttime lows can be elevated, but I don't think we're going to have an issue with dry yet. Now, <laughs> the, the American modeling, the CFS is drying up the June forecast rather quickly in the Eastern Corn Belt. So, that's why we said at the beginning of this, there, there's, this is a difficult forecast. Okay. Yep. Um, if it got, got to watch it every day. Yeah. If it went hot and dry, I'm not going to be shocked. It's not going to surprise me if it goes hot and dry. Yep. But the, from a persistence standpoint, it's been very wet. <laughs> so we, we're not seeing shutoffs yet and precipitation indicators, primarily the PMM and the, the PDO and the, the AMO, these, these indicators in the ocean waters are not in drought indication statuses yet. Yeah. All right. So uh, next question, Eric says, job well done. Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate that. John says, what are your thoughts for New York for the summer season to rainfall and temps in comparison to the Midwest? Probably a little bit wetter and a little bit warmer on the mm -hmm. periphery of the eastern side of the ridge. Um, you can go back and watch the outlook there for the northeast, but that's probably the, the outcome there. So um, all the questions are answered for now. So if anyone has messages. One in the, there's one in the uh, Zoom chat, let's see, from Ron. Ron, Ryan. This guy he said. Asked, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, but he said uh, – Ran from Israel. Thanks for the explanations. That's really cool. Thanks for watching. Did he have a question? Yeah, there was one in the chat. It says, I know it's a bit of a long shot, but do you see the La Nina pattern shaping up affecting next winter? Um, and I certainly think it's going to change things up into next winter. We haven't seen a La Nina in years. Yeah. Um, I you know what an El Nino brings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I certainly wouldn't expect. Now, we haven't started looking into winter, so maybe there's other stuff that could drive it. But I wouldn't expect it to look like last winter because last winter was classic, strong El Nino type of pattern. Mm -hmm. um, wondering another issue: How do you assess the GFS FV4 compared to the legacy version? Do you still use the legacy models? Uh, the GFS legacy isn't actually, I don't even look at it anymore. I don't think it's even produced anymore. Is it? I don't think so. No, but I know of, yeah, not that we know of. I mean, we've noticed some glaring issues in the FV4 product with thermodynamics. Um, and the, and the, uh, the, the, the problem with thermal profiling in the model is bad, has a very hard time. It did horrible this winter with the snow events. Yeah. Um, and just the precipitation type and 
everything else. It did very, very, very bad. So I'm not impressed. Yeah. It's not getting much better. No. Um, So any, anything else? Okay. He said, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Um, Guys, thank you. Thank you all for, for attending and listening. Um, If you're curious about the app, you know, I'm telling you, it's a, it's something that can, it's a tool in the belt, the tool in the shed, if you will, that can really help you guys. So, um, from all of us here at, uh, at BAM, thank you so much for attending our growing season webinar. This forecast will continue to evolve. This is a difficult one. This is not a slam dunk. Our confidence is not high. Don't run away and say, BAM said this, this is what's going to happen. That's not it. Um, this is a daily evolution and, uh, if you're not watching it daily, you'll likely be caught off guard at some point this summer. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. So thank you so much for your time and watching and everybody have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys. Thank you. All right. Very, very good. Very interesting. Thank you, Michael and your team, everybody for um, putting this out. Very useful information and um, that weather porthole um, app as well as the website really like that especially that 36 hour outlook it gives you a very in-depth view into rain events that are coming up and what when and where you need to shut down the sprayer and things like that that's always been very useful and without further ado we're going to wrap this podcast up it's been an extra long one and i hope you enjoyed it if you did please give us a five-star review it really does help and listen to us wherever you get your podcast as always we tell as we tell you every time there are many parts of this uh, broadcast that are copyrighted and protected and so we ask that you share it on the podcast platforms that you're used to listening when you do that to your friends as well as we'll wrap up today's agronomy moment it's top presented by top ag media this has been episode seven And we thank you for listening. Until next time.